Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It is good for us to be together today. It's good for us to be with the Lord and be in God's presence and be with one another in the body of Christ and coming together. This has been a, this has been a horrible week. It's been a difficult, challenging week for all of us. I think I've cried more this week than uh, in a long time, and uh, we just need this. We need to be in God's presence. We need to be able to worship Him and put our eyes on Him and to be with brothers and sisters in Christ and we grieve, we grieve, we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who have no hope. And that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're in right now. We're in our Easter series as a church, and we've been talking about in our Easter series, the Jesus way, and where you have the world's way, right, and the invitation to run after the things of this world, but they're things that don't last, and they're things that just cause heartache and heartbreak, and yet the Jesus way is this way of love and this way of grace, this way of mercy, and so we've been walking with Jesus and saying, how can we live like this? How can we put our eyes on you, Jesus? How can we be people of hope and people of grace and people of love in the world today, in this broken world in which we live? And that's our call for us as disciples. Today is Palm Sunday. And on that first Palm Sunday, right, Jesus rode in from John chapter 12. We know that he came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He's fulfilling this messianic prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, written hundreds of years before that the Messiah would come in, and, and everybody wanted the world's way. They wanted him, Jesus to come in on a stallion, declaring a revolution, declaring a war, and for the Jews to overthrow the Romans and kick them out because of all the things that were happening there. But Jesus came to do something so much more. It was more than just for the Jews. It was more than just for the people right then. It was for all of us. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus was making right between us and God. And so Jesus came in on the back of that donkey. And then he comes and he's there and he's, he's teaching there at the temple. And then we start to see those cheers that happen on Palm Sunday, the cheers. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. They, they begin to waver a little bit as the week goes on. We see that Jesus on that Monday, Thursday in John chapter 13 brings his disciples together. And he shares the Passover meal with them. It's at that moment that Judas takes off and goes out to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You talk about the world's way, right? I'm going to go after money, that's success and all this. And, and yet Jesus pulls his disciples together in John 13 and shares that communion, that Passover Lord's Supper with them. And then he says in John 14, guys, listen, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. 
And that, that's why I'm here. And in John 15 and 16 and 17, you have this upper room discourse. And then Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays that they would be one. He prays that they would be strong in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of the pain. And last week we saw as Jesus goes out of that upper room and takes his disciples, 11 disciples, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray. He begins to pray there in that garden. And then here comes Judas. Judas with that detachment of soldiers. About 600, right, Roman soldiers along with the chief priests and the elders. And it's at night. They're carrying lanterns and torches. And they come out and they're looking for Jesus. They say, where's Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. And when he said, I am he, they all fell back, fell to the ground. Jesus has all the power, all the power. In that moment, it wasn't like they snuck up and they arrested Jesus. Jesus willingly gave his life. Jesus knew that the price had to be paid for our sins. And we could pay them and be eternally separated from God, or he would pay them for us. So in John 18, we saw last week Jesus' mission. As Jesus is taken on trial that night, that Thursday night, which was against the Jewish law, by the way, not to have a trial at night. And they, they do, and they take him before Annas, and then Caiaphas, the high priest, and then the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, right? These 72 religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Then he's taken to the Romans. And the Romans who were in charge of everything, the Jews could not put anybody to death. It was only the Romans who could do that. So they take him to Pilate, the Roman governor over Judea at this time. And Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do, so he sends him off to Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas sends him back to Pilate. And we left off last week in John 18 with this dramatic moment between Jesus and Pilate. And Pilate's thinking, this guy's innocent. I don't know what to do, right? But he's getting all this peer pressure, all this pressure from everybody else to hand him over to be crucified. And you're thinking, what's going to happen right here in this moment? And you notice that Jesus is in complete control right here, right now. What will Pilate do? And what will we do? So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We've been walking through the gospel of John on our daily steps and our morning readings. And we've been walking through in our series. We come to John chapter 19, which is just a powerful chapter. And John, the gospel of John was written by the disciple John. So he was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness to all this that went down. He stayed faithful to Jesus. So John chapter 19, here's that moment with Jesus and Pilate. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now flogging back then, right, by the Romans, I mean, you would be strapped up, your back exposed. It was 39 lashes. They believed 40 would kill you. And so 39, they would stop one lash short. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and he said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis of charge against him. I mean, like all he's done is heal people, done miracles and restored and done life. I find no basis of charge. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man, exclamation point. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, I don't know if you underline your Bible, but just stop right there for a second. 
Because here's the thing, right? People will come along and they'll say, oh, Jesus, he was, a, he was a great man. Yeah, he was. He was a great teacher. Yeah, he was. He was a great moral. Yeah, he was. He was a great prophet. Yeah, he was. All the world religions even acknowledge that Jesus was a, a great teacher, a great prophet. But, but Jesus claimed to be the son of God. That's what you got to come down to. That's what you got to come to grips with. C.S. Lewis says Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Every one of us has to decide, what do we believe? And here they are. Hey, he blasphemed. He said he is God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Do you really? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So Caesar Augustus over the whole Roman Empire, Pilate, right? The Roman governor here would report up to Caesar Augustus. Pilate had married the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus. He's on this fast track, right? He's got his whole career. It's mapped out his success. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge seat at the place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. And then look at this. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. What? Talk about blasphemy. These are the chief priests. Right? The Ten Commandments, no other gods before me. And the chief priests are like, hey, we don't want to put at risk our whole career, our whole thing. Look at this. We have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The gospel going out already. All languages. Here it is. Here's Jesus. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. If you keep going in John 19, right, Jesus is crucified, the nails in his wrist. And in his feet, he's hung on that cross. At the cross are some of the women who followed Jesus. John, who wrote this. And then you see the death of Jesus. All the things that Jesus went through on that cross, suffering for you and for me. A spear is jammed into his side. Blood and water flow down and Jesus dies on that cross. His body's taken, the burial of Jesus. If you skip down there, you see Joseph of Arimathea, who was one of the religious leaders, comes and asks Pilate for his body. He takes Jesus' body. Nicodemus, who was also one of the religious leaders, comes and, and he anoints with 70 pounds of oil and spices. 
I mean, all this money and wealth, anointing Jesus' body, and, and they place him in this brand new tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's own tomb. And they put Jesus into the tomb, and a stone is rolled in front of the tomb. And that's where John 19 ends. John 19 ends with Jesus in the tomb, with it seeming like death had the victory, death had won. But that's only John 19. John chapter 20 is coming next week. John chapter 20, John 19 is not the end of the story. John chapter 20 is coming, and there is more to the story. We don't serve a dead Jesus, but the sacrifice of Jesus changes everything for us. So let's look at what we learned from the sacrifice of Jesus in John 19 today. If you've got your notes with you, if you want to pull those out, if you want to write some things down, if you're online, you can go to the Rolling Hills app, and there's a place to fill in some blanks just to help you remember some of the things that God's going to teach us today from right here, the sacrifice that we see in John 19. First is this. We all have to make a decision about Jesus. We all have to make a decision about Jesus. Everybody back then and everybody today, what do we believe? Once more, Pilate came out and he said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. You've got Pilate, you've got the religious leaders, you've got the disciples over here, and you've got Jesus in the middle. The religious leaders rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus. And you're thinking, how in the world could they reject Jesus? I mean, you go back and look at the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of the Messiah, concerning Jesus, all are fulfilled in Jesus, every one of them. But man, they've got their place. They've got their religion. It's safe. It's easy. It's what they've got. And so they don't want to give that up to follow Jesus. And there's a lot of people today. They would say, hey, well, I'm religious. Right? I don't make it to church that often. I, you know, I don't do a whole lot with it, but, but I'm religious. And you're like, really? See, there's a difference between religion and relationship. And there comes a time for every person, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Will I commit to follow him? Will I trust him and follow him in believer's baptism? Will I follow him with my life? And a lot of people are like, ah, religion's kind of safe. I'll stick with that. I'll just kind of stay over here. I know about Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. And Jesus wants us to know him and to follow him. But look at Pilate. Pilate tried not to make a decision about Jesus. Pilate's doing everything he can to get out of this deal, right? His own wife warns him, like, hey, I have nothing to do with this innocent man. And here he is trying to free Jesus. But the fact is this, no decision is a decision. And there'll be people who show up in churches all across the United States and all across the world today, and they go, I just want a little bit of Jesus, and I got a lot of the world. I just want a little bit over here, but man, I'm running after money. I'm running after success. I'm running after my career. I'm running after fame. I'm running after all this stuff, right? And Jesus, don't really get in the way of that, okay? Because I've got it all mapped out, right? But, but I just want to know every now and then that, that you're there. So I just kind of show up and I don't want to really make a decision. But no decision is a decision. <laughs> Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to trust? But look at this. <laughs> John and the women stayed faithful to Jesus. John and the women stayed faithful. Verse 25, it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. <laughs> Moms, man, I'm so thankful for y'all. They were there in the good times. They were there with all the miracles and everybody chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were there for all the good times, but they stayed in the tough times. 
his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John. That's the one who's writing this. Wouldn't it be amazing if we just kind of referred ourselves to that like that? I'm the disciple Jesus loves. I'm not perfect, man. I made mistakes, but, but God loves me. That changed the way we live. John just goes, hey, I'm the disciple he loved. And they were standing nearby. And he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Guys, aren't you thankful for people who stay? Aren't you thankful for people in your life when going gets hard and gets tough and they don't walk away? They stayed. All those people who cheered, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessings you, comes in the name of the Lord. And now at the cross, there's just a few. But they stayed. They stayed. True disciples, stay. They stay with Jesus. Regardless of what's going on, I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to hold on to him. See, here's the thing. When challenges in life come, you can either run from Jesus or you can run to Jesus. We're all going to face challenges in life. Every one of us. Every one of us is going to go through tragedies. Every one of us is going to go through hardships. Every one of us is going to go through difficulties. And in those times, do we run from Jesus? And then we go, okay, I'm going to try to go the way of the world, and I'm going to go try to fight my own satisfaction, or am I going to run to Jesus and go, I'm going to hold on to Jesus with everything I've got because it's not the end of the story. There's more to come, and I'm going to trust, and I'm going to believe. Are you running from or are you running to? What about you today? Look at this. The Jesus way is not always the easy way. The Jesus way is not always the easy way. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Following Jesus does not mean you will have a problem-free life. There's a lot of people out there who would kind of preach that, teach that, right? The health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. Man, you just follow Jesus, woo, it's going to be great. You're going to get a Lambo and a Maserati. You're never going to have a problem in your life. You're going to have plenty of money. Right? You have success. And in fact, if you don't, then maybe you're not, you know, something's happening with you. you, know, you no, 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 no. I mean, like, where is that in the Bible? I mean, I'm looking at people like Job. I'm looking at people, you know, who went through challenges, the Apostle Paul. I mean, just go down the list. There's going to be challenges that we face. Yes, God gives us. Yes, God blesses us. Yes, God is with us. Yes, we have joy and peace and life and purpose. But we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. In Genesis chapter 1, things were perfect. In Genesis chapter 2, I mean, man's in right relationship with God, right relationship with his wife. Things were perfect until Genesis 3. And man sins. And now sin enters the world. Now there's brokenness. Now there's pain. Now there's hurt. But God didn't give up on them. And that's what we see at the cross. Is God is coming to make things right. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to have problems. It means we're going to have some challenges in life. Look, you can be in the center of God's will and still face challenges. Jesus was. <laughs> Jesus was hanging on the cross. And he's in the center of God's will. Paying the price for us. There's going to be some hardships. Maybe in your life you haven't had a lot of hardships. And just praise God for that, you know. But, but just know that there will be some times. And what do you do in those times? Here's what Jesus told his disciples. Remember this in John 16? Jesus told his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
knowing that I'm with you, knowing that I'm for you, knowing it's not the end of the story. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not you could. We live in a broken world. Hurt people hurt people. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, exclamation point. I have overcome the world. Jesus goes, I'm greater. I'm greater. It's not the end of the story. Hold on to me. Stay strong in me. The Via Dolorosa, which means the way of sorrow, is in Jerusalem. And I hope and pray at some point you get the opportunity to go. We'll go again. We go every two years as a church. And, and we go to Jerusalem. We go to Israel. We do a biblical study tour. And we'll go in October of 24. But we were just there last year. And we, we walked the Via Dolorosa. And the Via Dolorosa is a place with the Stations of the Cross. And you can see the Greek Orthodox, the Armenians, the Catholics have come in and they put these different stations. Now, they're not exactly perfect, right? But they help you to remember. Uh, they're pretty close. We know from biblical archaeology and historical geography, this would have been the path that Jesus would have been. And so we walk down these 14 different stations that you see this way of sorrows. Station number one, Jesus is condemned to death. And you start there and you reflect what Jesus did for us. At any moment, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels from heaven and taken out the Romans. I mean, but Jesus, Jesus went to the cross for us. Station two, Jesus takes up his cross, would have weighed probably 75 to 100 pounds, the crossbar, and he begins to carry it through the streets. Now imagine, he's been flogged 39 times. The crown of thorns on his head, the robe. And he's carrying his cross. Station three, Jesus falls for the first time. Station four, Jesus meets his mother. Station five, Simon of Serene helps Jesus carry the cross. Simon of Serene would have been there coming to worship at the temple with his two sons, Alexander and Rufus, who later on become followers of Jesus. In that moment, he picks up the cross and he begins to carry it. Jesus falls a second time. Jesus speaks to the women of Jerusalem. Station 11, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Nails would have gone through his wrist. One nail would have gone through both feet. In order to breathe, you have to push up on that nail to breathe in order to, to speak or do anything. It's a slow, painful death, the worst possible way to die. Station 12, you reflect that Jesus died on that cross. He died on that cross. Station 13, Jesus is taken down from the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, placed in the tomb. Station 14 is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's a place where, right, the Greek Orthodox, Armenians, the Catholics, everybody goes there. You light candles. You remember Jesus' death. But what stands out to me about the Stations of the Cross is it ends at Station 14. It ends with Jesus in the tomb. But that's not the end here. It's not the end here. Here's the thing, right? The Jesus way involves sacrifice. If you're following Jesus, there's going to be times to sacrifice. It, it involves sacrifice to come to church, right? It involves sacrifice to pray. It involves sacrifice to read God's word. It involves sacrifice to raise our kids in the knowledge and love of the Lord. It involves sacrifice to pray. It involves sacrifice to serve. It involves sacrifice to love. But that's the way of Jesus. 
And that's what Jesus invites us to. And that's where the joy and the hope and the peace comes. When we live life that way, we make a difference in the lives of others. We bless the people around us just like Jesus did. Look at this. In dying, in dying on the cross, Jesus showed us how to live. In dying on the cross, Jesus showed us how to live. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, John 19. He pushes up, it is finished. It is finished. The sayings of Jesus on the cross show us how he desires for us to live. There's actually seven sayings that Jesus had. When you look at all four of the gospels, seven words that Jesus said on the cross. I want you to see four. First of all, number one, this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. In Luke, it tells us that, that Jesus, on the cross, he looked at the Roman soldiers and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, you're thinking forgiveness? Jesus has been flogged. He's been mocked. He's had this crown of thorns. He's been nailed. And he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them? Wow. That's different. The world says be bitter. The world says hold a grudge. The world says get revenge. And Jesus says forgive. And maybe today there's somebody you need to forgive. Because see, what happens is you don't forgive. And what keeps building up inside is bitterness and resentment and anger. And it just comes in you. Somebody once said, right, resentment is drinking rat poison and thinking you're going to kill the rat. But it's you. And Jesus on the cross says forgiveness. Forgiveness. Is there anybody you need to forgive? Anybody in your life who's wronged you that you've carried it for years? Second thing you see is this, salvation. Jesus is crucified with a thief on his right and a thief on his left. And one of the thieves begins to mock him. says, you saved others, save yourself, you know. But the other thief looks and goes, he is innocent. We're guilty. And this thief on the cross recognizes Jesus as the son of God. And he says, hey, Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus tells him this, and this is so powerful. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. You die, you immediately go to heaven, right? There's not a purgatory. There's not a waiting place. There's not a, you got to get everything in order. When you close your eyes and you die, you immediately, if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with him, you immediately wake up in the arms of Jesus. You immediately wake up in heaven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But how incredible. Jesus on the cross, salvation. You know, in our lives, we can get so busy that we forget that there's people who don't know the Lord all around us. We can forget that there's people who are out there trying to figure life out. And it's hard and it's brutal. It's hard when you're a Christ follower in this broken world. But imagine having no hope or no hell. And for us, the opportunity to share Christ, the opportunity to invite people to church, the opportunity to pray with others, salvation. Third thing is this relationship. How amazing Jesus on that cross, looking down at his mother and knowing, knowing if you were a widow back then in this day, you we're in trouble. I mean, like you had nobody to advocate for you. You had no man. Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph, had died by this point. And, and so here's Jesus on the cross. And he looks at John. He says, John, take care of mom. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. See, Jesus came. Yes, the Jesus way gives us eternal life. The Jesus way points us to a life in heaven where there is no more pain and no more suffering. Praise be to God. But the Jesus way also shows us how to live in right relationship with others. Every day. 
And there's not a parent in this room or a grandparent who didn't wake up every day this week thinking about your own kids. And Jesus goes, I love them, and I'm with them, and I'm with you. I'm going to hold on. You trust me. Hold on. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And then look at this one, triumph. Triumph. It is finished. Jesus said, into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. Triumph over all this pain, over all this suffering, over all this brokenness. And we wonder, we wonder, Jesus, why don't you just come back now? Right? I mean, you know, Jesus is going to come back one day and he's going to say, enough. Why don't you just come back now? Why do we have to live in all of this? It tells us in 2 Peter, it says this. God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish. Because when he comes back, that's it. Right? You can read the book of Revelation. You know when he comes back, it's going through that Easter gate there at Jerusalem, right? And and nobody's going to miss him that time. And he's going to say, that's it, right? And he will separate the sheep from the goats. But until then, there is salvation, there is hope, there is triumph, there is peace. But for you and for me, we find that in Christ and in Christ alone. See, in tragedy and suffering, hold tight to Jesus. In tragedy and suffering, hold tight to Jesus. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Joseph of Arimathea was a part of that Sanhedrin. That's 72, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ones who handed Jesus over to Pilate. But secretly, Joseph of Arimathea knew, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is the one I'm going to hold on to and, and inside. But after, after the cross, look at this. Joseph of Arimathea becomes bold. He became bold. He's like, forget the way of the world. Listen, I'm following Jesus. I don't know how this is all going to go down, but I know, I know that God's doing something greater. And I'm going to hold on to him. And he goes to Pilate. He identifies with Jesus. I'll take the body. I'll put him in my own tomb. I believe that something bigger is going to happen. And that boldness that came after the cross. Look at this, Nicodemus. Nicodemus came out of the darkness and into the light. You may remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3. He was one of those religious leaders. But he came to Jesus at night and he's like, Jesus, we know who you are. Nobody else can do these miracles. We know something's happening. And listen, I want to know how. And Jesus goes, you got to be born again. You need a relationship with me, born again spiritually, not physically, spiritually, that you have a relationship with me. And Nicodemus struggled with it, struggled with it until after the cross. And he's like, hey, I'm going to be bold. I'll go with you, Joseph Arimathea. Listen, I'll take 75 pounds of spices. I'll use my own money. Listen, I'm investing because I know there's more to the story. I know God's going to do something greater, and I'm holding on to him. And then look at this. The true disciples stayed faithful. They stayed faithful. They stayed faithful. In the good times and the struggles. When things were great, but when things are hard. They were there at the cross. They're in the upper room praying. And we'll see next week in John chapter 20. There they come to the empty tomb. Because God wasn't finished. There was more to the story. Guys, this has been a, just a horrific week. The shooting at Covenant School has impacted all of us. We pray and we pray we pray for Covenant Presbyterian, a sister church in our city. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for all the children. 
who are impacted here. We pray for all the teachers. We can't even imagine. And our hearts have been broken. My heart's been broken all week. And praying fervently for what's happened there. I think about six innocent people lost their lives on Monday. Hallie, Evelyn, William, Mike, Cindy, Catherine. Three nine-year-old kids. Three godly teachers, faculty. They're helping these kids, helping these students. And in those times, man, our heart just goes out. All of us as a city, we are in this grief process. And there is this process of grief. There's denial, the first stage of grief. I know for many of us who were there, we're like, no, how could this happen here? We read about it, you validate or Sandy Hook, we read about it around the country, but, but we live in this bubble. Right? We're in Green Hills and Williamson County and Nashville, and, and this stuff doesn't happen. And this denial. And now it's come to us. And then there's the anger phase. And we just get angry. This can't be. And maybe you've been there. It takes different people longer in these stages of grief than others. And then you go to the bargaining. You know why? What if? Could it change? Is there something? And then stage four is the depression. Depression, you just carry that, the heaviness, and we've all felt it. And I think so many people are still carrying the grief of coming out of COVID and this pandemic and so many of our kids are now carrying this as well. And then five, the acceptance. And for all of us, there's tragedy that we go through. And many of you have walked through those stages of grief before, whether it was with a parent in the past or a grandparent or a friend, But now, together, we walk through these stages together in the hurt and the pain and the heaviness. It was on Monday that my cell phone rang on Monday morning, and I looked down at a guy in our church who was one of my dear friends. I just love him. I love his family so much. And I'm thinking, why is he calling? But but I answered it. I said, hey, man, you okay? Because I knew something had to be up. I mean, these people have been at church forever. I love them. I just... And he's like, Jeff, pray, pray, pray right now. Just pray. And I said, what's going on? He said, there's been a shooting at my kid's school. And I'm driving there as fast as I can. And I'm scared. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And we just began to pray, began to weep, crying, talking to him. And then he said this. He said, I don't know what I'm about to find. But I will stand up on top of that school and I will say whatever happens. God is sovereign. God's in control. He is the Lord of my life, and I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in him. And man, we were praying, and we were praying. He called back about 20 minutes later. He said, I'm here at the fire station with my wife, and my boys are here. I was like, thank you, Lord. And then he said, but be praying for everybody else. There's other people who aren't here yet. And in that moment, I just go, God, come. And when so many times we think, God, where are you in the middle of all this? And then you start to read the accounts. And there was God with these teachers. These teachers were amazing. These teachers were bold. 
They were unbelievable, hiding in closets with these kids and holding them and saying, I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. There were good Samaritans who were stopping traffic to let kids cross the street and get to where they would be safe. There were these police officers, these unbelievable police officers who were just so bold and so brave and running straight in to the danger and running straight in to be there to rescue, to do whatever it took. And those moments were like, God, we need you. Where else are we going to turn? You know, but in that moment, we just saw God. And we said, God, my faith and my trust is in you. And I'm going to stay faithful. And I'm going to hold on to you. Because what we know is it wasn't the end of the story on Monday. For those six innocent, and even for that seventh, we don't know where all of them stood. But I hope in our prayer that they knew Jesus, and we know many of them did. And on Monday, when they closed their eyes in this world, they opened their eyes in eternity. They opened their eyes to see Jesus, to say, you're home. And we know for all of us, it's going to be a brief moment, and we'll be there too. And we'll be with them and dwell with them. But until that time comes, hold on to Jesus. Listen, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are spiritually. And maybe you've been religious, or maybe you've been in a time in your life you've been searching. But I want to tell you, it comes down to a personal commitment to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to put my faith in you. Forgive my sins. Redeem me. Restore me. I believe that you are the Son of God, and I'm going to hold on to you. Maybe for you, you're here today, and God's been calling you to be bold. And in your life, man, this is the time. This is our time as Christ followers to love, to hug our kids tighter, to hug our spouse, to hug our roommates and our friends, to offer grace, to offer hope, to offer love, to be there with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to give, to serve, to pray. This is our time. He is our Savior. And we trust in Him today. And we desperately need Him more than ever before. And He is here. You know, Jesus, on the night that he's betrayed and all this stuff is going to unfold, he brought his disciples together to share the Lord's Supper. And I can think of no better way for us today than to come together to share the Lord's Supper. And even in our hurt and our pain, to put our trust in him. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.